Welcome to the final episode of 2021. It's 2021. <laughs> this is a different year. A <laughs> uh, different year. Uh, it's Jokerman. And we're talking about uh, a, a, well, we're doing a roundup kind of. It's, it's, a, it's a Bob Tour roundup spectacular. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today we are joined by James Adams. Good to be here with you, uh, Joker fellas. Thank you for joining us once again, James. You were you were on the Shadow Kingdom uh, live stream with us uh, a couple months. Man, that feels like a long time ago at this point. It was, uh, but this is your your first uh, debut on the the standard issue pod here. So we uh, we we appreciate you spending your Saturday with us. And yeah, we are uh, we're here to kind of uh, round up the critically acclaimed. I think we can say uh, first leg of the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. The triumphant uh, return, triumphant Bob return Dylan to the stage to to show and concert. Yes, show and concert both, um, which ran from what November second to December second, right? It was just a month and took him from Milwaukee to D.C. Basically, around uh, Upper Midwest, or excuse me, not Midwest, more Northeast. Really, from, went from from East L.A. to San Antonio. Yeah, not no, quite. Not yet. We, we can hope on those dates for twenty twenty two. Um. Yeah. I did. So yeah, that's. I didn't realize yeah, until yeah. you said that. Yeah, but it was exactly a month, I guess, November second, December second. I wonder if that. Was, yeah. Bob said, "Yeah, we'll we'll give it a month. Try it out." I guess. I mean, it, the uh, it seemed like for a while there uh, there was supposed to be more of a tour going on earlier in the fall, right? That was what I was reading on, like expecting, right? And some of the 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 uh, rumors seemed to indicate that he was going to be doing like some Midwest dates. I think there were like some Texas dates booked, it looked like, and like uh, Kansas, Nebraska kind of stuff. But that all got that it's it, it whatever it didn't happen whether or not it was ever supposed to actually happen but it seems like this ended up being a sort of abbreviated version of the uh the overall run yeah that's the thing about uh some of these tour rumors that you hear sometimes is you very rarely find out if they were just you know lies or right. uh, if they ever had any chance of being true at all but yeah i totally remember a couple of rumored dates which uh didn't happen yeah and the other rumor of uh, there being uh, like a, a female backing vocalist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was yeah, I was totally thinking about that the other day. That, I think that what whoever started that, I don't think they got anything right. No, <laughs> I, I don't think that that was even close to being true. Although who knows? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe Joan was supposed to show up there and she just, you know, decided to to bail out last second. They still had the mic up on the stage. It does seem like a lot of things were kind of up in the air to some degree. I mean. It struck me today, you know, listening to the first show, I, I, it's been a while, you know, and I, I was just like, wow, they played other songs. They played, yes, they, they threw other songs in there. And it was like, I, I got so used to the, the set for this leg of the tour being, you know, established after that point. But at the beginning, it really did seem like anything could happen and ostensibly it could have. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely like was kind of in a, in a germinal state there the first week or two. And then I think by the time like the seventh, eighth show rolled around, like he locked in on the set and that was it. Like same, same sequence, same everything night after night. what do you think about the way that uh, the two, the set kind of like, you know, started off and then ended up evolving James? Yeah. At some point I hope that we, uh, and I think we will, you know, band members will talk. It might take a couple of years, but they will, but I want to hear, you know, how much time, um, Bob had with this band, uh, the, right. these particular players to uh, prepare for this tour because you know it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if this got together you know pretty 
pretty haphazardly or quickly uh, right before the tour launch. And, and like you said, I think you could hear that in some of the early shows where uh, the songs that ended up dropping from the list were actually carryovers, I think, from 2019. So you had, uh, what, what was it? You had um, Twist of Fate. Simple Twist of Fate. Uh, Soon After Midnight. Soon After Midnight. Right. Uh, takes a Lot to Laugh, Takes a Train to Cry was on the list. Lovesick. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, it, it does sort of seem that at the beginning, at least, you know, it was let's get this band together and try to pick up where we left off, uh, even though they had some new new players. Um, new players. Yeah. yeah. And I, it I did the, seem like it was pretty uh, like off the seat of their pants. I, I think I remember hearing at some point a story where somebody saw Charlie Drayton, the drummer, uh, as on his way in, in or out of the theater. And they're like, how, how, how's it going to go tonight? And he's like, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's also not, not out of character for Bob just generally. I mean, if he would have had a couple of years to get this tour together, I'm not sure we would have uh, be talking right now about how solid and locked in they were in those first couple of shows, you know, cause Bob of course is notorious for mixing things up and challenging his bandmates and, uh, that's that's one that's one way to put it. Uh, yeah. make, making things exciting for everyone involved. So yes. uh, you know, who knows? It's, it's like all speculation a, at this point. But that thing, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> his yeah. band is always living in interesting times. And that's yeah, one word for these last two years, right? Interesting. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, we should we should uh, touch on the band members also, just because this is a relatively radically reshaped band for Bob, you know, Latter Day Bob at least. Um, uh, I think really the only well, no, he he had Bob Britt had played well, so so we had Bob Britt, uh, we had Charlie Drayton, we had Tony Garnier, and we had um, who am I forgetting here? Charlie Drayton. Uh, Charlie Drayton on the drums. Yeah. It was the who who it was who was the other guitar player besides Britt? Doug Lancio. Lancio, that's yeah. right. Um, so obviously Tony is Tony. Uh, he had played with Britt and Lancio at certain points in the past, right? Or just Britt? Bob, yeah, yeah, he played with Bob. Uh, yeah, yeah, before. I want to say uh, they might that relationship might even go back to you know as far as like time out of mind. I think Bob Britt might have played on that album. I hope I'm not wrong about that, but that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, but very notable, obviously, is that Charlie Sexton did not join him on this tour. There was a lot of kind of uh, a lot of sturm and drang, a lot of, a lot of back and forth. Uh, I was kind of just obsessively trolling the um, uh, uh, Expecting Rain message boards like the two weeks before the tour actually started. And it was just like people were losing their shit over like, first, is Charlie Sexton going to be there? Then when it comes out that he's playing on Elvis's uh, Elvis Costello's new tour people were it was like warring factions some people thought it was going to be dog shit because of that others were thinking that it was still going to work out obviously uh you know it uh it uh his his absence was was felt i would say what what did you think about that if anything james yeah i did i was looking for clues on uh on instagram because charlie charlie's got a fun instagram page so yeah seeing you know whatever you know strange vaguely western landscape he would post somewhere in texas probably <laughs> oh i wonder what this means you know and uh he would post stuff about waiting games or rehearsals and stuff and then yeah it became clear that he wasn't going out with bob which uh it's it's weird how like um hyped up people get about that because i have a hard time thinking of another member of bob's band who's been in and out as, as much as charlie usually people leave and they're just gone right charlie uh Charlie had, you know, one big departure where he was gone for a while, but there was also a period where, you know, Charlie came back for a couple of shows and he was in and out while Bob was trying to fill out bands too. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think that Charlie's gone forever. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think the band ended up gelling really nicely by the, by the end of the tour. Uh, you know, they, they definitely had some, 
some rough spots there at the beginning, I would say, although, you know, Bob, Bob himself was responsible for, for some, if not most of those, uh, those rough spots. Um, but you know, if you listen to, like I was listening to, to Milwaukee and to DC this week, just kind of like switching back and forth a B between like, you know, the first version of one of the songs and the last version of it. And they really came like a really, really long way over just, you know, whatever that was four weeks, basically. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, uh, it sort of speaks to the, uh, professionalism of these people you know when charlie and bob Britt were the guitar players i felt like you didn't really get to hear bob Britt and his contributions very much just because charlie is one a really handsome guy and my eyes are always on him uh, <laughs> yeah but, he's he's so studly and uh it, it's like it's such a presence he has it's a, it's a great like um foil to bob's sort of hunched uh little guy uh pose right his his presence to have like this Adonis of guitar. Yeah, tall and a, a, a tall drink of water, you could call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, He's dreamy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I feel like you got to hear a little bit, a lot more of Bob, uh, Bob Britt this tour, uh, you know, because one, Charlie wasn't there and that allowed Bob, I think, to step up and just show, you know, how, how great of a um, guitar player he is. And uh, I think you can make that parallel too, because I didn't, feel like I heard a whole lot of Doug Lancio, especially in the the early shows that I've listened to. You know, I think he was still obviously trying to figure out this band, this sound, where he fit into it. And then by the end of the tour, you know, I was definitely here a lot more Doug. Uh, his show pieces, Melancholy Mood. And at the DC show, it was really uh, scary at first, but also then kind of funny that Bob uh, walked over to one of the guitar players amplifiers and just literally sat down on the amplifier and watched uh, Lancio play melancholy mood. Like he was, you know, almost still at an audition watching very closely. Wait, Bob, wait, Bob when Dill, we're saying Bob, Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan, Bob Dylan went and sat on one. Of the, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh he, he parked himself no right in the middle that. of the stage sitting on an amplifier and watched that. <laughs> and uh, I play guitar very, very poorly and uh, not often enough to get better. But uh, melancholy mood is, you know, a very uh, enchanting song on the guitar. So, uh, I think that allowed Doug to really show how, how great of a player he is too. That's, that's beautiful. I had no idea about that. I, I can't imagine. I guess Bob just, you know, needed, uh, need, need a little break on, uh, on the old knees. He was, he was doing a lot of standing at, at that piano for those. You could hear <laughs> those the whispers, weeks. the whispers in the crowd. Oh, what's Bob doing? No, oh, he's sitting down. That's, that's weird. Like you just, he's, yeah, <laughs> have a seat, buddy. You earned it. He sure, he sure did. Um, the, uh, I, I guess on that note, Bob, Dylan's, uh, you know, uh, musical kind of uh, contributions to the uh, to the tour. That was another kind of hot button issue here and there. Uh, uh, you know, only on the piano this time, wavering back and forth between just singing and then you know uh, accompanying himself on the piano. Not the most uh, uh, elegant uh, playing, I think, uh. at this at this point in time. But not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's uh, completely the opposite of elegant, but in a way, it, it is elegant in its um, uh, s- simplicity. In uh, maybe in <laughs> child childlike simplicity, we could say. Yeah, maybe the other. You know, there are a couple of ways that you can interpret simplicity. It sounds like somebody plunking around on a piano with maybe like one finger at a time. It sounds like one of those my yeah. first pianos, you know, like the color coded ones that have like four keys on them, basically. And you just like do, 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 do. Yeah. Sometimes it is beautiful in a way because it's like you can hear the effort going into each stroke. <laughs> it has this real like human quality. And when the band is really locked in, it's a it's a really nice counterpoint, actually, to their Absolutely 
smoothness and um it it has this janky yeah very human uh, touch <laughs> let's say that well when it works it's it's pretty awesome i think you know uh the counterpoint to that is it doesn't work uh, a lot it's, it's right, kind of rare right. there was something they were doing on evergreen and sand where he was treated uh, i think it's like four note lines back and forth with uh bob Britt, uh sort of the descending line at the end of some of those those chorus por- uh, portions of the song they would trade you know mm-hmm. three or four notes and they would repeat them back and forth to each other and i thought that was awesome really cool um yeah I mean, there is a sort of childlike uh some uh beauty to it or like a, a sense of wonder when especially in like the ballads when he's playing on the piano there are times when it's it's very touching in a way <laughs> way that even like somebody's better quote quote better might not be able to really achieve as yeah. a poignancy i i think it really does add we, we talked about this a little bit i think on our uh, post-show episode but it does add like a you know a, pardon the pun rough and rowdy kind of edge to the music which yeah. is so immaculate and um um, can be so kind of manicured i think especially on the new songs you know the, the older songs the the, the catalog songs uh, have this sort of, you know, kind of bluegrassy skiffle, um, uh, you know, bar band kind of tone to them. But the new shit is like really like buttoned up and smooth and and solid, you know, beautiful. Um, but uh, but I think without without some of that um, uh, plonking that that Bob is adding there, um, you know, it might almost feel too like like you're observing it from behind glass or something like that. So um, yeah, I mean, there, there are there are highs and lows of that certainly. I think like uh, Key West, for instance, we can talk about some of the songs uh, themselves uh, a little bit more specifically now, maybe, um, began with Bob, like way too much Bob on the piano, way too little everything else going on. And then, and then by the time it kind of got to the end of things, I think it really, really came into its own and, and it turned into one of the highlights of the overall set. Yeah, I think one of the things that was going on is earlier in the tour, um, Bob, you know, for whatever reason, felt like he needed to propel these songs a little bit more. Right. So if you listen to those early shows, you hear a lot more Bob piano uh, than you do in the later shows. And uh, there's probably a lot of things going on. One, the band got more comfortable. Bob got more comfortable playing with that band. I think the the mixing uh, of the shows, the sound of the shows got a little bit better uh, further in the tour, too. Uh, obviously, that's that's hard to judge from just tapes, which I'm doing for a majority of the tour. But I think from the shows I saw earlier in the tour and then the last show, the sound was just so much better. And that, you right. know, that could be venue, but, you know, part of me thinks that you also have a sound guy who has 
uh, not practiced his craft in public in a year and a half as well, too. So it's it's natural to think that people are going to get better. And I think that's part yeah. of it, too. Yeah. The, the mixing definitely seemed to be sort of like uh, like that seemed to be a common thread throughout, because I know the show that Evan and I went to in New York, like the first two, three songs in particular, like kind of sounded like shit, not from the band, but just like the way they were piped into the room. And then it got a lot better over. Yeah. Even the throughout the, the night, it, yeah. it improved. And the cueing too. So Dylan does this thing, you know, where there's a microphone turned on at the piano, there's a microphone turned on center stage, but they're not turned on at the same time. And Bob's going back and forth. So some of those, uh, the entrances to some of those lines where he was going between microphones was dropped at shows I saw too. And I think that's, you know, a matter of a dude in the back finding a fader and making sure it's in the right spot when Bob grabs the right microphone, which is not, right. you know, it's easier, easier said than done. He can be a little unpredictable up there. Yeah, but then at the end, you know, I didn't see that happening at all. So um, people definitely got another bit. I got better about it. You know, yeah. another thing about the piano too, is that some of these uh, sort of where he's searching through the, through the keyboard, trying to find, you know, the right note. Uh, reminds me a lot of his guitar work when he was playing, right. playing a lot of lead, like 1999, 2000, 2001, where, uh, you know, bandmates would sort of laugh and call him the, the searcher, trying to find, you know, which key or which part of the fretboard <laughs> they were supposed to, what, you know, what what notes he was supposed to be playing. Yeah, this is nothing new. There's always been some form of Dylan's performance or he, he is doing something kind of just totally it was polarizing then too. You know, you had people that say, Oh God, Bob's, you know, he, he's so wonderful. It's so sick. His guitar playing. And then other people would be like, what if, if you could just turn down Bob, I'd have a much better time. So, <laughs> but then there's people who don't like the way Bob sings his songs now either. The way that he approaches the lyrics and the, and the actual vocalizing itself is pretty similar in some way to the way that he plays piano. He's constantly toying with it and, and kind of poking around and having fun uh, just by changing when, you know, how fast or how, how slow he's going to take a lyric or uh, whatever the case may be. Yeah. That was, that was another thing that definitely seemed to evolve over, over the course of the shows is like his, his vocal delivery and, and his, um, I think like familiarity and like comfort with the, with the songs. Like I noticed on some of the earlier tapes, he, he definitely, hues a lot closer to like the way the songs sound on the record like you know he's he's just kind of like reciting them um or, or he's doing that more and then by the end of it like that dc show um Evan, that you posted on the twitter and that uh is uh, circulating online too um like the false prophet he's like all over the place on that song just like like, like going completely off the map and it totally works but it um you know it it uh, it seems like it took him a while to figure out how he wanted to like present these songs um on a night by night basis yeah part of the learning process i think uh, through the through the tour going you know from milwaukee to dc definitely yeah, yeah. what shows were you uh, actually at james uh so i went to charleston west virginia i went mm -hmm. to um hershey pennsylvania oh there was a pittsburgh Although the, the town's called Moon Township. Moon Township. Yeah, that was, moon, that was a moon. fun one that showed yeah, up on the Saw those list. three. Yeah, saw a show. I saw Bob Dylan on the moon. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, the last show in D.C., I was there, too. Damn. So you got, what was that, four? Four. Yeah. Four. Hell yeah. Any any personal favorites or highlights from any of those? Uh, that's really hard for me to do generally, and I'm not tr trying to duck your question. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's, there's uh, positives, I think, at all the shows. I You know, part of being a fan and loving Bob Dylan so much and not getting a whole lot um, the last year and a half because of reasons that were obviously totally out of Bob Dylan's control 
right. uh, was my expectations were really high to see him uh, in Charleston. So I think I had built that up a little bit uh, more in my head than I should have. And uh, as a consequence, I, I don't think I enjoyed that show quite as much. And it's sure. totally on me. It has nothing to do with Bob. I'm not uh, trying to push this on anyone except myself. And so, you know, future shows, when I had a better idea of what to expect, uh, I had a much, much better time. And I think that culminated all the way at the last show in D.C. where, you know, I was in a good mood. Uh, Bob was in a good mood. It seemed like the band was playing uh, as well as they had played throughout the entire tour. And right. so, you know, if I had to pick one, I'd pick that one. But uh, I don't think necessarily that means it was better. Sure. Well, I had a very similar experience because I went to two of the uh, New York Beacon shows. And yeah, I'm, I'm, and, the, I'm the loser here who only got to see him once. Yeah, you, you, that's right. And... <laughs> We went to the second and I went to the third and the the second night we did a, a an episode talking about it, like our initial impressions right afterwards. And um, I was really, really felt fortunate to have been able to see the third one as well, because the mood, just the vibe was totally different. Um, the first night that we saw, I think the there was a sense of somberness to the the whole thing that was kind of unexpected for me like either it was just like um i don't know i felt like the the ballads really shone brightly um most of the time but there was also a little bit of fogginess i think for bob like there was some lyric flubs and things like that and then it seemed like the second time uh i saw it it was like uh he was putting in a concerted effort to not have any of that happen so he was really stuck behind the piano, really like glued to his lyrics. And he didn't, I, I don't think he screwed up a single lyric or if he did, it was really minor. Um, whereas I think when we saw him uh, in, he did with uh, made up my mind, which made was up a my disappointment. Mind. Was a yeah. He, yeah, it was a couple like screwing up where the verse went versus like the chorus. And it, it it's honestly seems like an incredibly tricky song because it's so slow and then you start saying a few words and then it's like, Oh, great. I, I, I'm in the wrong spot. I'm, so, I mean, it's, it's a challenging thing for anybody to do, but he pulled it off really, uh, really well the second time I saw him. And of course that was the, uh, the show with the now infamous, um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Stallone shout out. Stallone There's a just in the last couple of days, I think there's some fantastic video footage of that Bob talk. If you guys haven't seen it yet, it's up on YouTube. I haven't seen it. Very clear. Pretty, pretty I close. saw it in real life. Yeah. I saw it, I saw it with my own two eyes. And oh, I was yeah. screaming. Three, three dimensional. <laughs> I could not believe what I was hearing. I, yeah, I still can't believe it. Uh, I really can't. So weird. I love I love that that like kind of routine that he got there got into uh, over the course of the tour is just like these little like just like completely oddball nuggets of like local history. Yeah, I guess. That, that's how he <laughs> yeah. seems to. Have, he uh, he said 
He shouted out Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. In Moon, in Moon Township, yeah. The, yeah, that was the one you were at, yeah. Yep. We're all fans of Mr. Rogers. We know he was funny. And, uh, we miss him a lot. That gives gives one maybe a hint of like, okay, Bob likes Mr. Rogers. He likes this kind of, um, it's kind of a Mr. Rogers-like move to be like, we're, we're glad to be here and we're glad to be in a town where this uh, famous person was, where like electricity was invented <laughs> or whatever the hell he does. Bob likes classic American yes. Uh, yes. figures and, and cultural totems, which is why he shouted out Mr. Rogers, Herman Melville, <laughs> the Big Apple, Paul Revere, and yeah. Philly cheesesteaks. And Philly's cheesesteak, we're not going to forget that. These things are all as American as apple pie. Yeah, I can't forget the Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> this, this is something I have a hard time explaining to people who aren't uh, sort of big-time Bob fans, but uh, it's the idea that Bob Dylan is a, a teacher to me. Right. taught me about like so many different things, even on this tour with some of those introductions where in Charleston, it was a reference to, you know, an old country song called Giddy Up and Go, I think, which, you know, I'd never heard of in my entire life or, uh, it, you know what it is? It's reminiscent of is the theme time radio hour where you play a song, exactly, yeah. song that was so sick. You wonder how you spent your whole life never hearing this before. And, you know, then he'd have some pithy explanation about what, you know, why you're, where you're a piece of shit from. for never hearing this ever before, because it's so <laughs> awesome. And of course you should have known about it. Uh, and I think that was an extension of what he was doing on those, uh, those Bob talk segments. Yeah. I mean, he's not, uh, he's, he's in a, a sort of league of his own though, in terms of sharing that type of knowledge in the, in the world. And, and that is, I think a really important point is that Dylan is kind of like a, he is more than just himself. Like if you like Bob Dylan, it's not just liking Bob Dylan. Like he is like a, a kind of, I mean, it corny, but like he, when he says he contains multitudes, it's basically like yeah. he is somebody who contains like the dead, like the souls of like so many people before him. Right. Absolutely. So many yeah. people who made up what we know as American culture, which is, you know, rapidly disappearing anyway in terms of uh, public consciousness. And so when you invest anything in, in hearing about uh, listening to Bob Dylan and, watching him play listening to theme time radio hour reading interviews whatever it is you are getting way more than just you know it's not just the cult of personality around this one guy it is like he can't help but just express the dna of american art and letters yeah and that's why i don't think the word teacher when i use that captures enough of it I mean, in, in, in a literal sense, he, he did teach me a couple of things. So I'm thinking of uh, the show in Boston where the Bob talk uh, was about Paul Revere. Right. And uh, he says something like, you know, Paul Revere made the Liberty Bell. And so in the back of my head, you know, I'm a, a very amateur student of, of American history, but, you know, the Liberty Bell is in Philadelphia. So, so, sure so I was thinking, you know, Bob's messed up. You know, there's no Paul Revere is in Boston. Uh, the Liberty Bell is in Philadelphia. But, you know, then I go on Google and I find out that no Paul Revere made Liberty Bells. Uh, it was a totally different thing than oh, the Liberty Bells. bells. Yeah, it's a totally different thing than the Liberty Bell. Damn. And there's many of them, and they're a key uh, a key part of American history during the Revolution. Were these bells that Paul Revere made? So you know that that'll teach me forever Jesus. ever doubting Bob or thinking that he made a mistake. And and, and then the next show is in Providence, Rhode Island, and it's a reference to you know the separatist movement. So 
Again, right. I'm, I'm, I'm back on Google trying to find, figure out what exactly is the separatist movement because I didn't. I don't think I learned that in school. If I did, I forget it. But now I know what it is. What is the separatist movement? It's it's the dudes who were too hardcore in Boston and got kicked out of the, like the Massachusetts colony. So they got hell yeah kicked out down towards Providence because uh, the people in, in Massachusetts didn't want them. They, so they were separate separated from the group. Insane. See, like who 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 are we going to get this from in in some uh, theoretical future when Bob is no longer here to give it to? Like this this man is like a like a like a a, a ghost of yeah. He's of, a missing. Yeah. He's a link to the past. <laughs> Absolutely, in, in a very he's a real historical way. spirit. Yeah, but that's that's basically what we were getting at and have been getting at when we cover the uh, especially recently covering the American Songbook. Uh, series if you want to call it that the, the right. shadows in the night and on um where dylan seems to basically uh i don't i, I feel like it's such a, a wonderful gift him covering those songs because he maintains a certain relevance as a cultural figure that is basically an uh invincible you know it's it's ironclad right and you can't help but pay attention to it i mean other people do similar things other people have covered classic songs or other people might share bits of old you know i like this old song here and there or whatever but when bob dylan does it it just does it simply carries like another level of gravitas and and importance and he's dragging things from the past into the present into the view of the public saying this stuff is still relevant. Yeah, this matters. stuff is still, it still has life in it too, that it's still like, it's connected to your life. It seems like his infatuation with folk music to begin with is connected to this, this feeling that these timeless stories of the past are more relevant than whatever today's fad is. They'll always have a certain energy to them. I think he has a, there's a quote of Bob's where he says something about, these folk songs felt like more important than whatever was in the news. Yeah. This was the, the news to him, you know? Right. And for him to still be out there doing what he does, dragging this stuff into your view, reminding you that it's yours too, that you too can enjoy this stuff. You too are connected to the past. It's not all like NFTs and Sprint stores or whatever, and he's Sprint he, and that line that he's uh, teaching you about, and he's referencing, he's adding to it. You know, he's a contributor yeah. to that line. Not to mention, he's he's giving you on top of all of that. Like, right, it's it's his own new canon. You know that he's just adding to. And I'm thinking of that. Uh, you, you remember on Twitter a week or two ago, there was that that poster from the Record Mecca website they had for sale, where it was like. How old are you in Bob Dylan records? You know, so you know, right. people were chiming in saying, I, I honestly feel like that is is my life. I don't need a poster necessarily to, to tell me, you know, where I am because I'm constantly thinking, you know, how old was Bob Dylan when he did this? Right. When Bob Dylan was my age, what was he doing? It's 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 a recipe what? for for life. It's a it's a roadmap for how we're living. And I'm thankful to have it. It's also a very uh, easy, very way, easy to way to feel like to- shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Twenty four years old writing it just if you ever want to feel like a failure, you just look up where Bob was when he was twenty four. Oh my god, that <laughs> bastard! Um, what? Uh, I guess speaking of that, speaking of you know, kind of uh, the the 
the canon of Bob, uh, his material, the, um, you know, the, the, the music that the, the shows were composed of, right. He went very heavy on rough and rowdy, obviously, as the we rough know. Rough and rowdy now. ways tour. Rough and rowdy I don't ways know if tour. we even said that yet. This is the rough and rowdy right. ways tour. Worldwide. Um, worldwide. 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 Exactly. 2021 to 2024. Yeah. And we're in for, uh, we're in for a fun couple of years mm-hmm. in one regard, at least. Um, so everything from rough and rowdy minus uh, Rubicon and murder must foul, obviously. Uh, but then the uh, the catalog picks were kind of an odd, odd selection. A lot of stuff from Shadow Kingdom, actually, yeah. um, and kind of presented in a Shadow Kingdom kind of style, but um, a very different kind of feel, vibe, energy, mood, whatever word you want to use, uh, than all of the rough and rowdy kind of stuff. What you what you think about those picks that he was trotting out every night, James? I keep a list at home of all the Bob Dylan shows that are Bob Dylan songs that I've seen him perform live. And uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, over the last five or six years, I don't get to add too much to that list, you know, maybe, right. um, one or two songs if I'm super lucky. So I was very stoked for seeing that first show because I was going to have, you know, whatever it is, seven or eight, nine new songs to add to the, to the list. So from a personal perspective, you know, I was all about the rough and rowdy way stuff. And I wanted to see how it would translate from the record to a live setting. And I think it did really well. I mean, I think that was the, the highlight of the show uh, for me was seeing those songs and not just the first song. So I could, you know, check my list. I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> but I, I just think performance wise, Bob seemed very invested in those songs. And I also totally. think the, the, the songs that weren't from Rough and Rowdy that he included were, you know, a nod to the audience uh, for coming along with him while he's presenting this new material. Now he's right. not going to do it the, the, the obvious way and play blowing in the wind and like a rolling stone all along the watchtower, but you know, songs like got to serve somebody the way they were performed are, are crowd pleasers. You know, they are, yeah. I mean, that's going to get people excited and, and dancing and uh, motivated masterpiece was kind of like that too. When I paint my masterpiece, it was a song that, you know, people probably recognized. And so uh, I think helped helped the way they're interspersed in the set list, I think was to keep people going, even if you weren't familiar with the new album uh, to keep you excited. Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, a carrot, uh, not not just stick. Uh, if you're if you're one of these people who went to the show and was expecting uh, Watchtower and Blown yeah. in the Wind and Rolling Stone and all the hits, I thought some of the choices of song that were you know the older material, um, it seemed to rely pretty heavily on kind of lighthearted fare for the most part, right? With the exception of gotta serve somebody and every grain of sand grain but, of sand, yeah. uh that grain of sand is like and it's that's like a whole other can of worms um but right. the inclusion of you know starting with um watch the river flow and then uh having uh you go your way and i go mine and um what else did he do that uh I'll be your baby masterpiece. Tonight. I'll be your baby tonight. Yeah. Roman Kings that specifically like masterpiece. I'll be your baby tonight. And, um, and watching the river flow. Like those are really pretty similar types of songs in some way, especially the way right. they're performed. Um, I, it seemed like there was a conscious decision to kind of balance out the, what the others, you know, the, the rough and rowdy stuff, which is, largely pretty heavy and you know elegiac or it has this kind of uh it's the polar opposite of something like watch the river flow um in a lot of for a lot of those songs um that was just an impression i i came away with that there was 
kind of like the the fluffiest fluff and then like the hardest hitting soul searching material as well within the set and it seemed like maybe Dylan felt like he achieved a good balance and then didn't want to mess with that regarding what he included yeah I think that um that specifically like the songs that he started playing in the first show the first couple shows that that got cut and then you know the the catalog songs that stuck with the the show throughout the rest of the tour like that I think that that totally makes sense because things like Twist of Fate or Lovesick those are pretty big kind of like heavy like signature showstopper kind of songs like if you go to a Bob Dylan show and you are you know just kind of a normal person who just like knows some Bob Dylan songs but isn't necessarily expecting a whole treatment of the whole new record and you hear Simple Twist of Fate you're like oh I know this one this is a pretty good one I, I like this song and so I think the decision to cut those and and refocus on those, you know, like more just kind of like, like workout songs, not workout, like exercise sort of things, but just like giving everyone the opportunity to like stretch their legs, everyone in the band, the opportunity to stretch their legs, play some nice music, play some good music, and just kind of like have some fun up on stage for a few minutes in between these like kind of dramatic moments, all the rough and rowdy material. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was clearly the kind of... Um, the the concept there or the project um because yeah you know river flow masterpiece i'll be your baby tonight are all fantastic songs but they don't they're a very different kind of tone or touch than you know fucking key west or black rider which is necessary i think if it was all heavy hard hitting shit like that would have been that would have been too much for like a, a show that was like an hour 45 every night. Well, I think it's probably just what's most fun for Bob to play too. It seems like he likes playing those goofy, funny little ones. Uh, right. Like he, he needs to have some of that. It takes a lot of energy to put out a, a really, a really convincing, a real, a really top shelf version of. My, yeah, of my own version of my stuff. own version. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Although that my own version, yeah, my own version is a standout for sure. Um, maybe we can pivot slightly into which songs we felt during the tour were like big standouts in terms of the live versions of them. My own version of you, we just mentioned that one. That one was a standout for me personally. Uh, made up my mind to give myself yeah. to you, which is... Uh, I think one of the more popular songs on the album, but one that didn't resonate with me from the album uh, was a standout like mm-hmm. in the, in the show. Like I, I went into the tour, not really loving that song. And now I'm a huge fan. Like, I, I think I like it just as much as everyone else does. Do you have a good show, like a, a, a good tape or like know of a good show, good performance that cause like the night that we were there, he, you know, that was kind of the major flub. And even the ones that I've heard other than that, like, like they are, Cause that is like maybe my favorite song in the entire record. And I just, I don't feel like I heard one that like did it justice. I'm sorry, that Ian, I'm sorry to tell you that yeah. uh, the night after we saw it was uh, such a show. It was right. You should listen to that one. It was good. Yeah, yeah, the Boston shows. Yeah. So what we're talking about two things here or three things, really, we're talking about, you know, the song you like, we're talking about Bob's performance. And then we're talking about how we're experiencing Bob's performance, which is in a lot of cases on tape. And, uh, so far right. a lot of the tapes that i've heard from this tour uh, aren't great i'm just gonna you know say that uh 
And I think that's because people were sure. so enthusiastic about this tour, so excited about it that you had a lot of brand new tapers and you had a lot of people who were recording stuff instantly on their iPhone and then posting it on YouTube. And so that's what we've uh, had to listen to so far. However, I've noticed just within the last you know week or two that some of the you know the, the, the legit tapers, their stuff is starting to come out. So as long as, long as fans are, are oh, patient, yeah. I think you'll be rewarded because the uh, the, the better sounding uh, audience tapes are going to be coming out here pretty soon. They already are. So if you look around, right. you can yeah. you can start to see better quality recordings. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I need to do some uh, some more searching there. Uh, certainly, uh, it, my own version of you though. Yeah, like that was a real the the like kind of reconfiguration that they give it the the the, the sense of drama. I think that they add yeah. to it where it kind of like slows and like cuts out in the in the middle and just like it, it's like the music is just kind of creeping along and and it's yeah. all Bob. Um, you know, kind of the start of the show with the vocal. That's such a just fantastic kind of rendition and such a such the the right way to present that fucking song. Also. Yeah, that song on the record, I think, almost leans into novelty territory. Uh, almost, not quite, but it sort of does. Like the the subject. Yeah, if there matter, is a song on the record that is a little more of a novelty, it would be that one. But sure. hearing it live, it really steps out of that and becomes. Uh, it takes itself yeah. seriously in a way that feels really uh, gratifying to hear and to see yeah. performed. It it suddenly takes that you you're forced to really follow that metaphor with your imagination, and to think about uh, every word he's saying, and the seriousness with which with with which he gives what can be kind of um, ridiculous mm-hmm. lyrics. Uh, just pulls it across into, into being sublime. Yeah, on, on paper. And I think to the, on the album, to some extent, it, you know, it's a love song. It's kind of like a very obvious love song, but it wasn't that presented that way at all in concert. It was, a, it was dramatic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sinister. Yeah. It feels more like a, a song sort of about, um, I mean, it's like an anti-love song in a way. It's like, I'm going to, uh, it, it's about like idealizing people and sort of coming up with a fake facsimile of who you want people to be or something like that. I, I, I think there's a lot more to it than just sort of what, yeah, on paper might seem like maybe like a, a song from like the fifties or, or early sixties, like I'm going to make a monster lady, a bride of Frankenstein <laughs> or whatever the hell. <laughs> Yeah, there's a little more, a uh, little more going on under the surface. Um, I think that uh, Key West was also a a standout favorite for me. Um, that was the one that the night that we saw him, like knocked it out of the park. Um, and uh, and I and I know that towards the beginning of the tour, there there seemed to be a lot of kind of uh, differing opinions on that, like whether Key West was working, whether it wasn't, whether it was boring, whether it was not. Um, kind of happening but this one again like the I think the DC tape uh, that I was listening to like they they do a similar sort of thing to um, my own version of you where it, it um, the music gets more of an edge to it and kind of builds there's there's more of a I, I, I forget the uh, I, I don't know how to describe it properly but if you listen to it they they they, they give it a lot more life than just kind of reciting it um, from, um, uh, from the record. And, um, yeah, it, it, as a song that I went into these shows already loving and thinking was one of the best live, uh, I, that, that opinion was completely, yeah, it got a lot better. Um, and I think one of the, the primary differences was adding Donnie Heron's accordion to the, to the tune, which, uh, right. 
uh, he plays in this um, very dramatic uh, way. It's almost like a drone at some points, you know, just just drifting through the, the course of the whole song, hold, holding everything together. Where in the, the earlier versions, I, I felt like it, you know, it would almost stop and start at different points where that accordion really helped keep together. Yeah. I felt, uh, as we said on our initial impressions after the show episode, um, that uh, Mother of Muses for me was the song that. I, I went into the show not really having much uh, feeling about. And then I came away feeling like this is one of the definitive songs he's ever written. Like this is one of the big achievement songs in, uh, in Dylan's later career work. Like it, it uh, has so much is there. Uh, maybe it's just where it comes in the record that it, it uh, gets slightly overshadowed by some of the others, but it's so profound. And I, I really was moved by it in a live context. Yeah. I love that one too. I thought it was uh, the way it was presented was just extraordinary. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you. I'm not, it's not, I'm not a huge fan of that song. Uh, I almost feel like Bob's yeah. trying too hard to be a teacher in that one or uh you know, and he's he's talking about famous generals and stuff. You, know? you don't like hearing yeah, about Admiral I mean, Zhukov. I, I still love it, and of course, I, I did learn a lot after googling some of those names. Um, but but I think I, there's, there's certain lyrics in it that really just feel like he's talking about what it's like to be Bob Dylan, like at at his age, and he's it, it seemed like there, there was a sense of innocence to it or something like like he was sort of singing to to himself in a way uh, mm. that I felt was really remarkable. Um, and especially that last, those last lines, I'm traveling light and I'm slow coming home. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. man, it kind of, it sort of blew my socks off. One of the, uh, one of the new songs that uh, maybe I'm a heretic here, but I didn't really love was goodbye. Jimmy Reed. I feel like I like that one on the album more than the, and part partially because yeah. it was put in yeah, that, uh, I think so too. Uh, right before you introduced the band slot, and so you know it sort of right. had the uh, the feel of a of a closing number, and uh, it was always you know entertaining it was always great, but I don't ever feel like it, that's the spot it should be in. Uh, it definitely got yeah. the crowd going. Yeah, I feel that. And, and one of the funnier funnier. I mean, it could have been yeah, the that opener. Would be cool. That would be really cool. And one of one of the funnier things in that song is like. Dylan clearly thinks the idea of his needle getting stuck is like a hilarious joke. Just the way he delivers that on all the tapes, <laughs> that like it's so punctuated and it's like so direct. He's you like so stoked stuck. about that line and it doesn't really get much of a reaction, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't get the hoots entendre? and hollers of, uh, of uh, the size right. of your cock will get you nowhere. That that's uh, another line on black rider. Um, I felt like black rider is just like, so yes. grim, so powerful. And and that line, uh, the cock line, it is so. Um, it's a testament to how effective and how how uh, intense the atmosphere that song conjures is. That that's, that line does not really get a laugh. Like it got a plot. People it's laugh. It gets laughs. I don't think know. it gets a laugh. I think it gets like a cheer of recognition from some people. But then the next line is like, "I suffer in silence," and it just kind of like swallows up any little like "haha" cheer that the audience might make because right. that song is just uh, it's it's pretty bleak. It's pretty heavy. 
the instrumentation yeah. on that song presented live was just so sinister so evil like whatever it is vibrato or reverb or something with those guitars like everything just feels like it's going to collapse it's like a liquid uh very yeah. moody yeah the uh moody yeah i think all of the like slower kind of songs really really shine live multitudes also is just like a is a stunner uh certainly by the end of the tour uh that boston version that's on your um uh on pretty good stuff james that you found is like 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 spectacular like so good um he's just like in complete command of the vocals all the way through and the song the music itself is like almost barely there like it's it's such a such a like um, ethereal kind of sound. There's very little kind of uh, uh, set dressing behind him. And he's really kind of carrying it entirely just on his delivery, yeah. his vocals, you know, his I think you could say that about a lot of the, the way these songs are presented is the idea that, you know, Dylan has two top shelf guitar players, you know, some of the, the best guitar players in the country in his band. And uh, it's really hard to think of a place in the entire show where they take any solos, you know, any guitar solos. Don uh, <laughs> and you know, it seems like he can play literally any instrument ever invented. And uh, we're talking about how he drones on accordion as being one of the, the highlights. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, again, a reiteration, I think, on Bob's part of how uh, committed he is to these songs and presenting these new songs and uh, his willingness, apparently, to do that for the next three years. Years, we yeah. have also got, uh, as far as guitar heroics, there is a, what song was it where it has that very sort of choreographed guitar part? Um, are, are you thinking uh, Serve Somebody? Gotta Serve Somebody, Wow, Ian, you were making it sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that my acapella rendition you're of just, guitar saying, playing over do, Zoom do, in the same. is no good. You, you're, you're just doing do, 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 do. That's what it sounds like. No, it sounds like... Okay, much better. Yeah, that's the one moment where things kind of uh, things kind of cut loose, uh, you know, quote unquote, cut loose. Uh, yeah, so I mean, to speak. it rips. That and Jimmy it's Reed. so um, so good. And I yeah. was wondering, James, is that uh, is that like a rehash of a previous arrangement, or is that a new arrangement for that song? It's a slightly different uh, arrangement. So he was playing that in twenty nineteen, right. uh, definitely, cool. and it I'm sounded a little that. bit like that. But it's it's different. Uh, it, I I don't know how much of it is different because you have a different guitar player helping to play that song or mm-hmm. how, you know, how much it is something of uh, Tony getting with the band and, and messing with the arrangement or Bob telling them they want to play a different key. I'm just, you know, I don't know enough about the music um, to, to explain that, but it sounds a little yeah. different. Yeah. Um. What else? Uh, what else? Oh, yeah. So we, we do should spend a minute at least just we we touched on it briefly, but grain of sand at the end also is just such a perfect like. So like, so all throughout the set, the catalog songs, I think, are doing this thing, like we talked about a, a few minutes ago, sort of like just just like redirecting attention back to the, the rough and rowdy material, giving folks a chance to play some lighter songs, have some good times up on stage, snap your finger, maybe say, you know, say to your sweetie baby that you're sitting next to, like, oh, I, you know, I, I know that one. Don't you know this one? Um, and, uh, and, and that all comes to a complete stop there at the very end with grain of sand which you know might be might be familiar to some folks 
um, but isn't necessarily like a top line, you know, uh, uh, broadly considered classic of Bob's, even though I'm sure all of us would consider it that way. Um, and just the the poignancy, I think, of him choosing to end this set at this moment in time, uh, at this point in his career with that particular song is just such a, like, I, you couldn't script it any better. If I had chosen one song for him to end all of these shows with, Grain of Sand would have been my number one choice. And the rendition is just like, it's it's fantastic. Were you guys surprised at how he executed this version of this song? What do you mean? Like, I, when you knew that he was going to do Every Grain of Sand, what was your reaction to the way that he did it? Because it is a very unorthodox rendition of the song. I, I think it's got almost kind of like a like a 50s like doo-wop kind of sound to it or something, yeah, I can, uh, I which I think is like fantastic because uh, the the Shot of Love rendition is not the way that this song deserves to be heard. And obviously the demo version from uh, the first bootleg series release is not, that's also not something you can really present on stage. Um, so the way they, it, it's like a very classical, like, like almost Buddy Holly Roy Roy kind of sounding uh, accompaniment musically. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. So nice. So good. (laughs) It's, it's a song. I think that Dylan's always experimented with the arrangement of, I mean, maybe he even says this at some point, I think he does, you know, that one of the problems he had with that song was getting it to sound the way he wanted it to. And he's still tinkering with it. And I, I rather like the new, the new arrangement. I think it's, it matches his voice in this context in this band. Uh, exactly yeah good completely um it's such a a profound and um, transcendent lyric that it really can stand any any change to the to the actual music execution it's like it'll it'll work and i think slots in really nicely next to all the rough and rowdy material like from a thematic perspective like it feels like it kind of comes from the same part of his brain or the same kind of um you know, emotional um, uh, zone that he was in when he was writing these new songs. Uh, you know, it sounds different. The lyric is different, obviously, uh, compared to what he was doing or what he has been doing most recently. But like it, it feels of a type. It feels kind of like a, a different shade of this same color, so to speak. Well, yeah, that spirituality, which kind of colors so much of Rough and Rowdy Ways, this sort of this spiritual angle, I think, is is reflected in every grain of sand as the closer really, really nicely. So much of seeing the shows really impressed upon me how, how much this record is about, is about matters of the soul and, and kind of about transcending the, the mundane or the, the the earthly realm. Like it's mortal coil. Yeah. It really deals in, um, more, uh, metaphysical ideas. Right. It's a it's an interesting way to send people away too. I mean, the the closing number is gonna as people are putting on their coats and walking back out into the cold in, in Boston or whatever. You know, that's those are the last words that they're hearing from Bob, and it's a almost a provocative way of, of leaving yes. people. Yeah, you know? he's he's uh, he's he's not leaving them with uh, all along the watchtower. Yeah. Let me let me Thank just God. say, I'm so fucking glad that there's no watchtower. <laughs> And there's no um, uh, Thin Man, and there's no Rolling Stone on this tour. May they never, may none of them ever be played again live. Hey, uh, maybe maybe Rolling Stone can be played. Maybe Rolling Stone, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we've I think we've we've got enough versions of Rolling Stone over the All years. Along the Watchtower, is it really that? Is it that good? 
It's better than uh, it's better than early Roman. Oh kings. come on! That, I'd, oh, I'd, you're, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd flip uh, You're not a Roman kings guy. I know. I know. I know. I just walked into a into a. I, I wanted right to now. point I, out specifically that the yeah. early Roman kings from the first show at, in Milwaukee is very cool and very haunting. Um, I love me. I love early Roman kings. But I love Roman kings too. I do think that the the interpretation of Roman kings on this tour, like I, I kind of prefer them. Oh, you like, gotta really like early Roman kings to like this version. <laughs> I think. That yeah, that's this a one is a little. This one is a little um, somnambulant. I understand uh, why people don't necessarily love early Roman Kings, but it falls into that category of Dylan uh, material, which is like so boring musically that I, I, I feel like, well, I, I'm challenged to like find something in here. <laughs> I'm like, surely there's something, there's gotta be a reason why it's so boring. And of course then it's, you are rewarded by all those really funny lyrics and, and I like that relentless uh, blues. That has. I don't know what you're talking about. Evan. There's nothing boring about the blues. And you know what I say is, well, one thank man, God for the blues. One man's boring is another man's fundamental. It's you know, it's the air we breathe. The blues. Relentless. You said relentless. Relentless that's, that's is, is another man's. Yeah, somebody might say it's a fucking relentless. <laughs> What do, you, what do you guys think about the uh, the no encore thing? So, you know, the, I guess the first two shows, I think, Dylan did an encore, and then that's when he uh, he dropped it and never left the stage and, and put every grain of sand. I love it. What do you think? I love it. Understandable. I, I, and yeah. so, and I think he just doesn't want to have to, like, hobble off stage and then hobble back on and yeah. then hobble right uh, back undignified. off. You know, immediately. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I Encores in general are bullshit, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. so uh, I, I just, you know. Give us, give us the good shit, and that's what he did. I, I also think that the, so, other, I don't know. the encore that he did on the first show, uh, that lovesick is not great, I will say. Yeah. yeah. And it's a holdover, yeah, from 2019, so you're not... I feel yeah, like I'd rather the just get the... Bob sort of realize that yeah, Just get the too. polished stuff that's ready. Uh, you know, hopefully the next leg of the tour, there's some new... Uh, it's a whole new arrangement of the set i mean the set might, list might be different hopefully we get to see something all altogether new on some level but i'm not upset yeah. if he doesn't change it up each night i'm sure the uh, rough and rowdy material will get you know will, will kind of evolve and uh, i would i would guess that rubicon will probably make some sort of appearance yeah, that, at some that point one I, is I don't so strange know as a, I, don't, an yeah, I don't know why that, that one was just left out doesn't that one seem like one that dylan would really like to perform live like it, it, has, it seems like it would slot in here very like just like yank roman kings out of there yeah, that's where rubicon yeah. should be and you know you're off to the races there um i i don't know that we're ever going to get murder most foul i i really would be surprised if that was ever performed live yeah uh, yeah, it was. It's kind of funny we didn't get murder most foul, but we got Jackie O twice. I think. Right. Yeah. Like, so uh, it's 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 on his mind yeah, somewhere. He's you know, got it. Right. It's not like he forgot about it. <laughs> Never forget. I've I've heard that that this <laughs> the same thing about uh you know maybe Bob didn't want to uh, go off stage and then come back on stage and yeah, that's totally plausible I think, but. Uh, I don't know where you guys sat during the the show, but if you were high enough to see that uh, that floor, mm -hmm. the stage oh, the, floor, like the light up really, floor, really right? disorienting to me, and uh, like the way, yeah, it's illuminated from the bottom. Uh, I, I think maybe that has something to do with it. You know, it's just it's just tricky to get up and up and down off right. that floor and 
why do it like you say if you don't have to especially because i totally agree encores are kind of bullshit to give the people what you want to give them and they either like it exactly then uh the show show's over and uh you're good and go home i also like the way that he got into this you know we talked about the bob talk already which was fantastic but the band introductions like he really it really did feel like he was like you know like putting on a show like this is a performance I'm going to introduce the whole band to you. We're going to let everyone kind of take a bow and get a round of applause from the audience. Like it's just, it, that that's, uh, there's something kind of, um, you know, antique or, or classical about that. Um, and so that, that the way he, he packages the end of this show compared to like, you know, thanks everybody. Good night. And then, you know, the, the lights stay down and then he walks off stage and then the crowd hoots and hollers for a couple of minutes comes in. It's just like that, that, that wouldn't feel like thematically appropriate, I think. Yeah, I mean, the the presentation of the show, I just want to remark upon briefly, visually, I thought it was so yeah. cool. Like, the, just that <laughs> simplicity of the... Well the, said. Thank you. The uh, the bright uh, underlighting and just, like, the big red curtains. Uh, it, it was so, um, <clears throat> so cool. It was... It's, to, to it, I see a lot of shows. It was very minimal and totally unlike anything you see other people doing, which is, you know, it's still, like, somehow... Right. Bob is doing cool things with like set design, whatever it is, 60 years into his career. How is that even possible? You know what I mean? Like, Well, I think that what's great about it too, is that it, it's a, it was, it's so minimal as if to say, what more do you want? It's yeah. Bob Dylan on stage. Yeah, that, yeah. Don't pay attention to all the shit going on around you. You pay attention to the, the little man behind the piano over there who you can really only see like his eyes and his hair because like the piano is five foot six and he's five foot nine. Even to the point whatever. of what's on the stage too. Uh, I was at one of the, sh- he's not five nine. <laughs> at one of the shows I was trying to figure out how they were doing a mo- on stage monitoring because I, I just can't figure it out. Obviously Bob has like a monitor pointed at his uh, piano stool. Uh, but I'm not sure how the other guys are hearing what they're playing unless it's just the sound of their own amplifiers, because there's not a bank of monitors. Nobody's wearing in ear stuff. There's no, there's no microphone yeah. Charlie Drayton set. So it's kind of hard to even see how the, the, the drums are mic'd. I was, you know, I spent a significant. Bob at it again with like the mysterious uh, hidden mics. Or, or, or hidden mics that are in plain sight that are never, never touched. Uh, which is, you know, <laughs> sometimes, so, yeah, I spent a significant amount of time just trying to figure out how they were, how they were mic and stuff and how they were trying to do on stage sound. I, I literally couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Well, you know, as far as live music goes in 2021, this takes the cake for me. It's good music. In terms of, in terms of good, uh, good music uh, to see and, live. And it's miraculous, dude. I, I honest, mm-hmm. honest to God feel that way. Uh, the idea that Bob could put on a tour and have it go for a whole month and something stupid or uh, disastrous hap- not happening is, is miraculous. I mean, there's just so much not bullshit happen. going on in the world. Things are so hard. People have good intentions and they're still messing up. And uh, the idea that he was able to do this and pull it off and, uh, you know, do a damn good job at it at the same time, is, is, it's miraculous. I honestly think it is. Just the idea that we got to participate is, is a bonus. Yeah. Absolutely. It, and it, he just keeps like it the, on the level. He does keep it on the level. Uh, it, like the spirit also, like that was in the room the, the, the night we were there. And I'm sure this was reproduced at, you know, theaters all across the country. Like, you know, the people that you have spent the last several years just like kind of trading messages with online and getting to know. And like, it's just, it's so great to like have this sort of, this light in the darkness to use very trite kind of language. Um, it's something to look forward to, something to like have a communal experience uh, around, and something to really kind of give oh, yeah. you 
um, give you a moment of grace and like um, uh, and yes. and excitement in in a life of drudgery and kind of misery. And, and you, it, uh, you didn't <laughs> even have to be there. You guys recall that first show where uh, my buddy Duncan Hume was live tweeting the set the set list as it was going on. Yeah, thank God that bless was, him. That, that was that. I mean uh, I've it. had great experiences at shows. Uh, it's never as fun just to look at the set list, but I had a lot of damn fun that night just waiting for the next t- uh, tweet to come in from Duncan. And- the next one to drop, exactly. Yeah, that was a, a red letter day in Bob Dylan Twitter. There was a shit ton of people online all at the same time talking to each other. I mean, it's it's as close to hanging out as you can get without doing the real thing. Bob Dylan, folks, he brings people together. May we all uh, meet once more in uh, leg two of the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour. Of the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour, exactly. And in season six of Jokerman Podcast, which is coming your ways uh, very soon. Uh, we're going to be taking a little break here uh, into 2022. This is our sign-off for 2021. Uh, but uh, but we'll be back and at it uh, again, better than ever. Got some hopefully very exciting uh, things coming your way. Uh, uh, watch this shortly. space. So watch this space, exactly. <laughs> Uh, before we go, James, where can the good people out there find you, follow you, hear your wonderful On Twitter, at, uh, at Bob Notes, just until I quit. And I keep threatening that at some point I'm just going to give up on Twitter. So <laughs> ca- catch me there before it's too late. <laughs> I do a, a very occasional uh, radio show. It's not a podcast at all. It's nothing like this. It's uh, much more amateur. Much, much better. M- much, much more amateur <laughs> where I you know, introduce uh, classic Bob performances over the years. And uh, I'm going to try to keep that going in this next year because it's a lot of fun. And uh, the engagement that I get there is, a, is great and uh, sharing. It's terrific. It's, it's truly one of the best Bob related things on, on the Internet. Thank you, man. That, that yeah. means a lot. And uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't a, a lot of fun to do that, too. So, I mean, I'm going to be down here in this exact room in my basement listening to Bob Dylan anyway. I might as well put together mixtapes for people. So. There you go. Exactly. And I want to tell you guys to keep doing the good work, man. I love the show. I think that the shows that you were doing on the films, like don't look back and uh, eat the document. Those are some of my favorites. So it seems like you guys are getting better too. So uh, don't quit. Hell yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in it for the long haul for, for better or for worse. Or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just, just like the man himself. Until next time. Until next year. Joker. In the time of my confession, in the hour of my deepest need, when the pool of tears but is my feet, for I never knew born seed, the dying bones were good men. Out somewhere, toiling in the danger and the morals of despair. I don't have the inclination to look back on any mistake. I can't and I'll be holding straight of events that I must break. The fury of the moment I can see the master's hand In every least of troubles In every grain of sand 
of a Dalton And the leaves of yesteryear Like criminals they have choked the bed Conscience and good cheer The sun lay down upon the steps Of time to light the way To ease the pain of idleness And the memory of the game I'll gaze into the doorway Temptations ain't good flame And every time I pass that way I always hear my name And onward in my journey I've come to understand That every hand is numbered Just like every ray of sun Every green of sand 